Amen. Go ahead and have a seat, church. Uh, welcome to NBC, wherever you are joining us from, um, whether you're online, on the roof. Uh, if you're on the roof, you're probably cooking about now. I uh, hope it's worth it by the time this is done. I believe it will be. If you're here um, in the Ritz, uh, thank you for being here today. We're starting a new series today, and I hope that you will find it helpful to you. We're calling it Dancing on Eggshells. And just so you know, those three silhouettes of the dancers in that graphic are actually three of our very own dancers here at NBC, uh, meaning they go here. We don't have a dance team uh, uh, yet here at NBC. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but but uh, so we decided, you know what? They look so graceful. Let's make a graphic out of them and put them up there. Um, perhaps you know somebody who is so easily offended that anything you say can and will be used against you that very minute. <laughs> they are easily agitated. They get frustrated over anything. They find a way to take uh, whatever it is that you say and find fault with it or make it come out the wrong way in how they understand it. Uh, I know this is hard for you to believe, but some church people are that way. Uh, so I will often have somebody come up to me afterwards and they'll say something, you know, when you said this, and I know for a fact, I would not say that because I've never even thought that at any point in my life, I don't agree with it. So I doubt I would have said it in full view of a lot of people, including streamed across the world. Um, but they'll say that, and then that's the way they heard it. Right. So, uh, if you have those kinds of things, we use the expression walking on eggshells. Now, nobody ever really knows where that came from. We know it started in the 1800s. We know it refers to being around people like that and trying not to upset them. So we try to tiptoe around things as to not feel the crunch, proverbially speaking, under our feet. We don't want to set them off. We don't want to agitate them. We don't want to do whatever. Uh, you may have noticed recently, societally, that certain conversations of some importance are becoming increasingly difficult to have because they become so volatile. It's a miserable way to go through life, feeling like you have to tiptoe around people, that you're afraid all the time of what you might say might come out the wrong way, uh, that what you say might be misunderstood. Um, so I'm going to use the phrase dancing on eggshells to say we're going to very gracefully, like a dancer, go right over the top of the eggshells of the world that we live in. Because we're not trying, now the original title of this series is actually called Marching on Eggshells. And we decided that was a little aggressive. That's not really what we were going for. We're not there to try and just be avant-garde, to be rude, or just to be whatever. But at the same time, we're not going to shy away from issues that no longer are really talked about, especially in church, because the church has really heightened its, its own um, desire maybe to be non-offensive to the culture around them, et cetera, et cetera. And what happens is when the church stops talking about certain things, like we're going to in this series about life at home, about things like marriage and parenting and, and gender and, and singleness and uh, sex and money, that very touchy, touchy subjects, right? You can almost hear the crunching as I say the words coming out of my mouth. And when we stop doing that, then what ends up happening is the microphone is surrendered exclusively to the culture. And that when that microphone is surrendered to the culture, what ends up happening is uh, the, the culture then is free to um, kind of slide its arm up the back of the church and like a ventriloquist with a dummy, kind of say whatever it wants through the church. And that's a very dangerous place for us to be. So in this series, we're going to try uh, to dance on the eggshells, which we'll define as gliding gracefully on delicate subjects regardless of the crunch 
We're going to look at biblical wisdom for life at home, and we're going to do it in a graceful but, I hope, uncompromising fashion. The lines about what it means to be a man, a woman, a kid, a parent, a family, a single, a Christian who dates are all over the place these days. And in part, it's that way because some churches have been bullied into not saying things that the Bible teaches rather clearly about who we are, about how God designed life, about how uh, life at home is supposed to take place. And lest our church become complicit by caring more about what the world thinks of us than what our leader, Jesus Christ, thinks of us, we must speak. And my hope is that in doing so, we will help prevent the Bible from being labeled inappropriately as some outdated book of, of suggestions, um, you know, that, that uh, uh, an enlightened, quote-unquote, society like our own is not supposed to use much. I think sometimes God is framed even by well-meaning Christians and people who would consider themselves to be Christians as this guy, he's kind of like a, a dot matrix printer or uh, the ice bucket challenge or music of the early 2000s. It was once good. It's no longer good. We need something new, something fresh. So we're going to upgrade it and, and then out comes something new. Now, the reason we're doing this series is not just because of the faithfulness aspect, but I'm also going to go ahead and take a flying leap forward and assume that we have not yet reached perfection in the world, um, that our steps away from biblical wisdom for life uh, have not necessarily netted us progress, that a lot of what we're seeing today feels a lot more like we're imploding than it does that we're progressing in things. And I think the reason for that is in part because of the ways that we've strayed from biblical wisdom for life under the rooftop. Even saying that out loud uh, can be viewed by some as very provincial, as very... Um, you know, outdated or almost old-fashioned, if you will. So uh, I'm going to suggest, and here's the premise of the series, that God does not need an update, that the church needs to realign itself with biblical wisdom and to rediscover its voice, but to do so in a perhaps a less shrill but more baritone sound. After all, things aren't going as hot as we'd like to think they are. So we're going we're gonna to hear this parable from Jesus in Matthew 13. If you have a Bible, Bible app, go ahead and get it open. And on the surface, you may go, well, what does this have to do with life at home? Sounds like a parable. Well, yes, but like most teachings in the Bible, um, it is very instructive to us and is something that really is foundational to everything else that's going to come after it. So today is not like a bunch of technique stuff. It's not seven helpful tips for this and that or you know, eight ways to you know, raise your kid without strangling them or or whatever. This is, this is foundational stuff, and it's vital that we get there, okay? So we're going to start here. This is Jesus in a very strange scene right before this parable is told. Uh, people go, hey, uh, your mother and your brothers are here. And he's like, who's that? My, my family are the people who hear the word of God and do it. So now, if you're his mom and, and, and uh, kinfolk, then you're sitting there going, wait, what, what did he just say? He didn't, he's not even going to own up to us. He's not saying that. What he's saying is that, that there's a part, a bigger family out there, that, uh, of which his, his biological mom and, and kinfolk are a part, but that the real family that he's got is that the Christian family, the people that are following him, around him. And then he goes on and he says this. He told them many things in parables, it says, Matthew 13, 3 to 9. He says, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. 
Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Okay, so after this, he tells that story. The disciples then come and they go, why are you telling all these stories? Why don't you just tell them what's up? And he says, well, I can do that with you guys because God's opened your eyes. So you can, I can just simply say to you, hey, this is what's up. You guys will get it. They won't get it. So I tell it to them and stories. Now, ironically, you kind of get the sense the disciples don't know what the story means because Jesus comes back and explains it to them. And we don't have this on a slide, I'm told. Maybe we do. I don't think so. So I'm going to read it to you, so pay attention here, all right? And then we'll review it, just make sure we got it. So Jesus then says to them, here's the parable of the sower and what it means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life, the worries of this life, the worries of this life, and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Now, when Jesus tells parables in the New Testament, he usually does not explain it, but he does here. And he says, here's exactly what it means. So we don't have a lot of digging to do uh, in terms of what does this mean. We do have a lot of digging to do in terms of what it means for us. So he starts by saying, people basically fall into four camps. So as you sit here today, you're probably in one of these four soil types, if you will. Type one, people who just don't get it. It never really takes root. They really don't understand it. So before it even has a chance to, to take root, uh, Satan comes and kind of carries the seed off. That's type one. Type two, he says, uh, it starts to take a little bit of root, but then when things get tough, then they, they hit the eject button. Uh, if I can exaggerate for just a bit, these are the people that kind of, um, and they might say, hey, I had a bad week, therefore God doesn't exist. Uh, they're very fragile. Things that... Uh, go on in their life, or uh, they view as a, because God, if he exists, would allow me to have a very smooth life in their mind. That's what they think he's there for. That's what they think he provides them. So in the event that their life gets turbulent, then they, they, they back out. Okay. Type three are people who get it, but they let the concerns of life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it out. He says, those are the people that fall among the thorns. Okay. So these are the kind of people that uh, there are a lot of these folks that kind of are affiliated, if you will, with churches in different parts of the country. They, they claim Jesus on their Christmas cards, uh, but they don't live for him. They live for the things of the world, ultimately, and it's reflected in their lives. They live for achievement. They live for money. They live for sex. They live for fame. They live for recreation. They live for self, but not the actual kingdom of God and, and walking in the path of Jesus. And then type four, he says, these are the people that get it. They get it. They live it. And thus, they know its blessings, and they provide all of this fruit. They bear a lot of fruit in this life. Now, this, all right, may seem like a bit of a strange text to begin a series on life at home with. 
but if I may, I'd like to suggest to you that life at home begins, if you're, if you're trying to get somewhere, you have to know where you are so that you know how to get there, right? If you don't know where you are, then it's pretty hard to find your way out of that. This is a parable that asks, where are you? What soil type are you? And if you're not four, then there's a clear ladder here, right? Soil one, they just don't get it at all, right? Two, they kind of get it, but then pain hits, off they go. Three, they get it a substantial amount, uh, and it lasts a little bit longer, right? So there's an escalation, which means what you're trying to get, you're getting better, 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 and type four is really where you want to be. He holds that up as the ideal. Fruitless, the first three, number four, 100-fold, 60-fold, 30-fold, he says. All right, so what's the point of this, and how in the world does it apply? Here we go. He's saying it doesn't matter how much seed you scatter. It doesn't matter how many times you hear the gospel, okay? It's where the seed lands that matters. Well, what does that mean? It means that you're more responsible for your faith than you think you are, probably. It means that the problem is not with the seed, that a lack of fruitfulness in your life is not fundamentally because the gospel doesn't work. It's because the soil is not healthy. The soil is not fertile. If the gospel is powerful indeed, uh, then we have to go, okay, well, why hasn't it borne the fruit that I'd like to see in my life? And the answer that he gives is, well, the soil is hard. Uh, I'll give you an everyday illustration. You guys know that there is a difference. You can ask the same question as somebody, and it depends on the mood they're in, how they answer it. There are times where my daughters can come through the door, they got something they want to ask dad, and they can say, dad, I have a question for you. And I'm like, oh, uh, yes, you know, you know, what can dad do for you? You need money, take the money. You need the car, take the car. You need whatever, yes. You know, up to half my kingdom, ask and it shall be given. Other times they walk in, dad, no, right? <laughs> and it's because, right, the soil is different. You understand? As you sit here today, probably the single biggest indicator of what you get out of this sermon is how you showed up here. It is not how good of a job I did. It's how much sleep you got last night, how open your heart is to receive the Word of God, the Holy Spirit's activity in your life and in this room. It isn't the job I do. You know how I know? Well, A, this parable. Two, here's another one. Because as soon as this is over, some of you are going to go, that was awesome. And some of you are going to go, that was awful. Poor guy needs a vacation or something, right? And, and, and the difference is the soil it lands on. What he says here, if you're going to try to produce a fruitful life at home, it begins by simply saying, I understand that the way that my heart is prepared in this life matters a great deal to the gospel's fruitfulness in my life. It means making the decision that says, I'm committing me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And doing that first and foundationally is where it begins. Because if not, then you end up like Jesus talks about in Matthew 7, where he says there were two houses. One was built on rock, one was built on sand. The one built on rock, that's who hears my words and does it. The one that's built on sand, those are the people who hear my words and goes in one ear and out the other. And so when the storm comes, one goes splat and the other one stands strong. Here he's using agriculture instead. And he's saying, listen, what goes on here is really what determines the fruitfulness of the gospel in your life. 
And the sooner that we understand that the seed is not to blame for lack of fruitfulness, the soil is to blame for the lack of fruitfulness, the better off that we're going to be. So I have an illustration for you today. Uh, I have some seed. Now, this is the best I could do. Sunflower kernels, all right? Right out of the spivy cabinet. It appears my little teenage rats have been eating my, my sunflower kernels. There's just a few left. But let's just pretend, all right, for, for the sake of whatever, all right? Here's Jesus' point. I should be able then, if it's just about the seed, then I can just scatter it right here. And in six weeks, I'll have sunflowers right here, right? Logic follows. This is a person who would say, oh, you know what, yeah. So if nothing grows there, it must have got some bad seed. That's the problem. Well, that's stupid, right? So you know, others of us will go, you know, the problem is, though, you don't have any water. So you want more evidence that I grew up, uh, I live in a house with girls. Look at this. This is my watering can, pink and what has happened to my life? Seriously, look at this. I uh, know, man, it's, 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 yeah, it is what it is. All right, I love my baby girls, but come on, look at this. All right, we got, we got this pink watering can. Pink watering can, all right? And uh, we're going to put some water on it. All right, so now we're good. Six weeks, we'll have sunflowers. Right? No, that's stupid. Um, okay, well, how about maybe I didn't get enough water. So, no, okay. <laughs> I got a big target in the front row here, man. I could spray down a bunch of people. So let's just say, boom, boom, boom. Now we're good. Six weeks, there will be sunflowers right here on the stage, right? That's stupid. No. But you know what the problem is? We haven't spent enough money on it. That's what it is. So... I bet if I throw some money at it, that'll make it grow. These are $1 bills because I know this church, all right? I'm going to, these things go missing as soon as church is over. At least you only, you got two bucks, all right? That's stupid, right? We all know it has to have soil. And not only that, the soil has to be good. And if not, then it ain't going to grow. So why in the world do we go through this life Blaming God, the seed thrower, or the farmer for the lack of growth of the seed that he scatters that when it lands on good soil, does this. Go ahead and put the next slide up. You see this? These are wildflowers. You know who planted those? Have no idea. You know why? Because nobody had to. You know why? Because the soil was good. Something in the air just happened to go through that, that was going to bear fruit, and it landed in fertile soil, and boom! Jesus is saying, that's how you bear fruit. This is how you live your life stupid, like in a fruitless way. It's like throwing seeds on top of your driveway, coming out and going, I almost got some bad seed. No strawberries here in the driveway yet. You know, it doesn't make any sense. I know we have some farmers among us today, okay? They get this. The agrarian society in which he told this parable would have gotten this right away. They probably found it funny. And then they probably come back and they go, oh, well, 
what about me then? So here's the question. If your family has not gotten much out of the gospel, out of the church, and if your family's not bearing any fruit, may I suggest to you, at the hands of Jesus here, to focus more on the soil, that being what's going on in here, the heart, the core principles of the family, the foundation on which your house is built, and less on how God has not delivered, uh, how the church has let you down, how, you know, uh, the, 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 the alarm didn't go off, the check's in the mail, your dog ate it, and all the other reasons why that's not happened. He says, you look here. That's where it starts. That's where it starts. It's not the seed, it's the soil. And so what he's saying is the growth of the gospel in you is not quite as much of a grind as you think. It is about making sure that the soil is present and is healthy. All right? Uh, the second thing, and this is, uh, I think, a little simpler and less messy, okay? Keep the soil ready, all right? I'm going to give you some habits now. We're going to do a lot of these over the course of the next several weeks, okay, as we do this. But these are habits, all right, that I think will help us as we try to grow and we want the gospel to take root. Here's how we go about the process of getting the soil right, okay, and ready. All right, let's start with our prayers, praying for healthy soil. All right, um, now here, I want to be careful because I can be misunderstood is what I'm saying here. I think anytime you've got a concern, something weighing on you and you want to take it to the Lord, do it. He can handle it. He, you know, he's happy to hear what we say. It demonstrates faith to go do that. That's good. So don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. Having said that, you can tell a lot about a person's soil from their prayers. You can. I can tell in my own life. Um, the first thing that happens when the soil in Tim's heart starts to get a little hard is I stop praying altogether. I get busy. Um, I start to worry instead of pray. And when I pray, I start to get much more me-focused and much more, I'll call it six degrees of Jesus. I start moving away. The proximity of what I'm asking for to my heart and to the gospel itself gets further and further and further removed. When things are fertile in my heart, I'm praying that God would help me become more humble. I'm repenting of my sin and asking God to forgive and redeem that. I'm, I'm praying kingdom prayers. I'm praying for, for um, when I'm praying for my kids, I'm praying that God's uh, power and presence would be present in their life. I'm not necessarily praying for all the ancillary stuff. The more distant I start, so once I am praying, I start by getting more distant. So what I mean is next thing you know, and I can do this easily as a pastor because I got all your prayers too, is I start backing away from that into more kind of, you know, this fourth, fifth, sixth degrees away from Jesus. And I start, next thing you know, I'm praying for my mailman's ice cream man's toenail fungus, right? I'm over here. I'm praying away because what it does is it allows me to not have to deal with this. See, I can talk about their soil, right? Then I don't have to talk about mine. So I, I can sit there and tell, you know what, Lord, we pray for, uh, I'm going to see somebody out there. I'm going to pick uh, Mark and Curry Webster over there. You know, Mark, God love him. Lord, pray for Mark's soul because Mark is struggling with worldly. I don't know if you are or not. Okay. <laughs> Mark is struggling with worldliness. 
And, uh, you know, and then I keep getting further and further and further and further away. Until all of a sudden now, all I do is worry. I point fingers at Mark now. I don't even pray for him. And anything I can do to keep from dealing with my own junk. And what I mean is I can pray for, you know, uh, you know, hey, the, 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 the guy in the sound booth, which, by the way, I can't see. I'm sure there's somebody up there. Whoever's in the sound booth, you know, uh, he said that uh, his grandfather uh, got a bad horoscope today and needs prayer. So I'm going to pray for that. I'm going to, you know, anything, and I'm going to keep getting more and more and more distant, right? And that, that's, that's how I notice that this once soft dirt is becoming more like a driveway. And I've got to make sure that I'm staying, my heart is staying soft. Um, so there's one. Number two, choose the garden, not the junkyard. Uh, here's what I mean, okay? If you are planted beside uh, and surrounded by healthy soil around you, the soil of your life is more likely to stay healthy. Gardeningknowhow.com, which is, of course, my second Bible. I'm on it all the time. We, it says this, weeds are competitive, fighting your garden plants or lawn grass for water, light, nutrients, and space. Most are quick growers and will take over the many areas in which you find them. While most types of weeds thrive in favorable conditions, native types may be found growing nearly anywhere the ground has been disturbed. In fact, they may even offer clues to your current soil conditions. Weed presence says something about my soil. Huh. When we were in Texas, we had this big, they have Bermuda grass on all the lawns. It goes yellow in the winter. It's also really hard to keep weeds out of, very hard. So the you know, best, if you call somebody and say, how do I get the weeds out of my lawn? They say, go get some Roundup, kill it, and then grow a healthy lawn. Oh, okay, grow a healthy lawn. I wish I'd thought of that. It's not healthy. That's why I have weeds. And they're saying, no, you have weeds because it's not healthy. And what we noticed was the neighbor next to us didn't take care of his yard. Because he didn't take care of his yard, guess what? When the weeds started coming in, they came in on one side of the lawn. Guess which side? Yes, you're right. Genius is in this room. Right on the side where the weeds were growing. Because the wind would pick it up, and as soon as the wind came, it would carry the little you know, almost invisible little weed things or whatever they are in the air, and we drop them in our lawn. And the next thing you know, we had weeds, right? Um, that doesn't mean that you're supposed to isolate yourself from the world. Jesus says, be in the world, just not of the world. What I'm saying is the people, the friends you've got. If where you go to get wisdom, where you go to get questions that you've got answered in a very constructive, good way, if that source is the junkyard, not the garden. You're going to struggle. Your soil is likely to get more infested with weeds. Okay? Jesus says that the seed gets choked out by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth. The lead competitors for the soil of your heart are the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth. Well, where would that creep in? Well, if my entire group of friends is fully committed to buying the latest model of Lexus, guess what? I'm going to struggle with it more. Try to lose weight in a house where you're the only one. Everybody else, they're going from nachos to brownies 
to beer to chocolate to whatever. Meanwhile, you're trying to do kale and other awful things in order to get in order to diet. Okay, there's no. You, it's so much harder when you're surrounded by people who are not committed to the same things. That's why I tell people who are thinking about getting married. It is going to be a lot harder for you to follow Jesus if the person you're yoking yourself to is not trying to follow Jesus. So parents, going back to the six degrees of prayer thing, if you want a prayer for your kid, here's what you pray. Heavenly Father, um, if it be your will that our children marry someday, would you do two things, please? One, would you prepare for them a mate who follows Jesus relentlessly? And Father, would you prepare my child to be the kind of son or daughter who would make a good mate for that person so that they can be one flesh? Hard to be one flesh if you don't share Jesus in common, okay? But do you see the difference than saying, Lord, I pray that you help them get married. There are better prayers, ones that deal here. They're more soil-based, right? So if you, if you decide you're going to put yourself in proximity to people that are toxic to your faith, expect weeds. All right? Now, on that upbeat note, let's go to the next one. Um, make room for yard work. Uh, if you decide that you're not going to take care of your yard, you're not going to water it, you're not going to cut the grass, you're not going to do any of that stuff, six weeks, eight weeks in, the homeowners association is coming for you, right? Because it looks awful. Your soil of your heart is no different. It needs care. It needs uh, fertilizer, right? There needs to be things that allow you to do that. And your habits, the habits that you have, I know I wear you guys out with this stuff. And that's okay. I'm going to keep doing it because it works. All right. Every spiritual master since the dawn of the gospel says the same thing. And it sounds so boring on the surface. Stuff like going to church, reading the Bible, prayer, fasting, worship. That's how the trowel in the hand of the Almighty goes through the soil. It's yard work, if you will, right? Go find a really, really fit person and say, hey, do you exercise? And they'll look at you and go, yeah. And you go, okay, uh, tell me about your workout routine. You know what they're not going to say to you? Well, I wake up every day, and when I feel like it, I work out. You know what they're going to say? Well, I work out Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. I lift weights on Monday and Thursday, and I run on the other days. I eat this. I try to drink a lot of water. I try to do these other things. Okay? Yard work on the body. That's what they're telling you they're doing. And on the soul, you know, um, it's, it's rare that a person can do nothing that tills the soil of the heart and then be surprised when the fruit is not born. I know what some of you are thinking. You're busy. Okay, I'm going to say something. Here's an eggshell. I'm going to dance over it. Ready? You are not a victim of your schedule. Get a tattoo, and I'll do the same. 
I'm not a victim of my schedule. You don't understand. Okay, there are probably like one or two of you in this room who have a situation where you have no control over your schedule. You got, you got an aged parent you're taking care of, something like that, right? Where you're, you're really struggling and your schedule really is not your own. For most of us, we chose the schedule we have. Put it in lights. Get the tattoo. Get a Yeti with it. Put around the outside. I am responsible for my schedule. No, you don't understand. My kids are involved in so many. Well, who's their parent? Who's writing the checks for all that stuff? I know. I got amens in every service for that one. All the parents are like, yes, yes, preach a while. You know, but that's right. You just go, hey. So when I sit there and I go, you know, there was somebody who said, uh, you know, hypocrite is somebody who complains there's too much sex and violence on their DVR. You know, you just sit there. You sign up for it. And then the next thing you know, you're complaining about how busy you are. And so, therefore, the yard work doesn't get done just like at home. You know why my yard didn't get taken care of some weeks? Because I'm busy. And as a result, here come the weeds. What Jesus does for us here is a tremendous favor. He says, you are not helpless in the spiritual process. I'm asking you to prepare soil. I throw the seed. I create the seed. I will get, provide the light. I'll provide the water. I'll do the whole stinking thing. But you got to give me some soil. You got to till the soil here. Or put the trowel in my hand and invite me to do it. Then I'll do it. You may not like the result at first, but I'll do it. Yard work, very important. Come up with your priorities. Say, if we don't do anything else, we're going to do these three things. Boom, boom, boom. Here's the yard work of the kingdom for our house or my house, okay, if you're an individual. Last, avoid low water landscaping your life. I, I was not familiar with this term. Uh, we went and saw a house this week, and I looked out in the backyard, and I go, hey, he's got AstroTurf in his backyard. And the agent's all, no, 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 that's low water landscaping. So, I'm a baseball player, man. I was like, I'm going to take some grounders on that stuff. It's AstroTurf. Oh, that's low water landscaping. Ah, what does that mean? Well, it means that it doesn't take much water. I got that part. You don't need to water to AstroTurf either. So how is this different? And he says, well, this is alternative grass. I said, fake grass. He said, no. This is alternative low water grass. Okay, man, whatever. <laughs> it's fake grass. Doesn't take much water. All right? Now, you can do this with your life. Christians are brilliant at this, right? It looks real. It's not, though. I could have put fake sunflowers up here. And at this distance, you couldn't really tell that they were fake. There are good ones out there. They take no water. And there are some who think that's a virtue, that the point is to look like grass, that if all I do, if it looks right on the surface, then it's genuine. Like, like we can, and look, we can fool one another at times, but we can't fool God. We can't fool Jesus. He gets it. Low water landscaping might be great for your yard. It's terrible for your life, terrible for your soul. If you're living a life that does not take water, you're not living much of a life. 
It's one thing to need the energy required to plug in a hairdryer, but if you want to power a city, that takes a whole other level of electricity and power, all right? When you're, when you're, the life that you're living does not require much. It requires no spiritual resources to live it. Then I think it's worth asking the question, if you're in camp number four that Jesus gives us here, where the soil is fertile and you're bearing 160 and 30 fold, surely when I get to the end of this life, there ought to be something better than, hey, you know what? Tim managed to look like a Christian without it requiring too much of him. He is a monument to low-water landscaping. Tim, here lies Tim Spivey. Used a lot of words weekly. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, kids turned out okay. Um, you know, and just these other things that we aim for that are not really what God has designed for our life. It's not why he put air in our lungs. It was not so the epitaph would read, here lies Tim Spivey. He is all right. He did no harm. Low water landscaping. Live a life that requires virtually nothing of you, but looks great on the surface. You don't have to worry about any weeds in a low water landscaping yard. But it's fake. It's phony. In the realm of the Spirit, there is no such thing as overwatering the soil. In fact, the whole point is to make that soil fertile and then to beg God on your hands and knees, God, more water, more light, so I can bear more fruit. Okay, And that foundation is how we live lives that bear 160, 30-fold, like he describes in the parable. In general, sisters and brothers... We will reap what we sow. Very biblical principle. So don't be upset if you plant corn. Don't expect strawberries to grow in the driveway. Does that make sense? You can't go, oh, if you plant corn, you're likely to get corn, (laughs) not strawberries. And so think about this morning as we go through this. And the good news of the gospel is soil is not permanent. Soil can be tilled, it can be weeded, it can be fertilized, it can be changed, just like that. And that's what God is inviting his, his hearers to through this parable. And so if you want the kind of fruitfulness that he's talking about, then it requires the fertility of the soil of the heart that he's talking about as well. So as we do this um, this morning and as we reflect, as we're getting ready, and I better get these dollar bills before we dismiss, you're all going to take them probably. Ooh, they're all wet too. That's nasty. Um, uh, my prayer for you today, if you're here and you're like, oh, my life's over. I've already messed it up. Oh, no, 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 no. Look, you may have had, the soil of your heart may have been hard for a while and, and there may have been some things that went on in your life, but that doesn't mean it has to stay that way. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel is living and active and it can drill through the hardest of soils. But you got to, you got to invite it. So if that's where you are today, I hope that you'll do so. And for the rest of us, this morning, be honest with yourself. Let's together decide, hey, whatever goes on in my house, it may not be perfect or whatever, but it's going to be aimed here. And my priorities are going to match what I'm aiming for. My schedule is going to match what I'm aiming for. 
my finances are going to match what I'm aiming for. And I'm not going to let the, the cares of this life or the deceitfulness of wealth take over. I'm going to let the priorities of the kingdom give me the life that I've always wanted and that God's always wanted for me. All right, amen. Uh, this time, we're going to take the Lord's Supper, and um, we call it communion. We do this every week at New Vintage. If you're not familiar with it, it's a time where we take a little piece of bread and a cup, and you should have had a bag when you came in. I've been handed a little bag, and um, when you do, if you didn't and you'd like one, go ahead and put your hand in the air. We have some ushers that have them in their hands, and uh, we got one down here. There's Mark. Poor Mark Webster and Curry Webster picked on this morning, but see. They're overcoming their worldliness through service. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, and this morning, I hope we hear these words about what he's saying. And I, I, as we head off into figuring out how we can be better parents and how we can be better kids and how we can be better singles and how we can be better at all these different things, that we understand that it, he's the one that will do the work. We're the ones that set the table. We're the ones that say, we want you in here, Lord. We want you to take this over. Um, so let's pray as we gather around the Lord's table. Heavenly Father, now with bread and cup, we say yes to your Son, whose body and blood we remember at this time, for the opportunity to start new, to bear fruit where there's been barrenness, Father. We give you thanks, and we invite you to do that very thing. Keep us from looking over at our neighbor's garden, but help us to look inside today, Father. And if there's misalignment between what we say we want and what we want, help us, Father, please expose that. Help us to understand where we're trying to be fake. Help us understand, Father, where um, the soil is not ready for you to break in and help us to do that, Father. We want to be like a big hillside full of wildflowers where the soil is so fertile that anything, Father, gospel-related just bears fruit. It grabs hold and it bears much fruit. That's our prayer today, Father, as we say thank you for Jesus, who we remember now with bread and cup. It's in his name we pray. Amen.